The scripture reading for this morning is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, your word says that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Would you pour out your spirit that through the reading and the preaching of your word this morning, your will might be accomplished. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how many of you have been to Letchworth State Park? Show of hands. Letchworth, okay? All right. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Holy cow. How many of you have been to both? Letchworth and the Grand Canyon. All right. I've, I've never been to the Grand Canyon but I have been to Letchworth. And given where I grew up, which is near Toledo, Ohio, which I'm not kidding, is a swamp that was filled in, given that, Letchworth is pretty amazing. But for those of you who have been to both Letchworth and the Grand Canyon, you know, you, you would say at the end of the day, there really is no comparison. The, the numbers bear that out, right? The deepest gorge at uh, Letchworth is 600 feet, 600-ish. The deepest gorge on average in uh, the Grand Canyon is over a mile, right? I, I can't believe how many of you guys have been to the Grand Canyon. I'm hoping to get there one day. I want to make a comparison this morning um, with humility, but I want to make a comparison this morning between Letchworth and the Grand Canyon when it comes to gospel doctrine and gospel culture at Grace Church. Let me just define our terms again, just uh, by way of reminder. Gospel doctrine is the message of divine grace for undeserving sinners. Gospel culture is the shared experience of divine grace by undeserving sinners. So gospel doctrine, the message of divine grace for undeserving sinners. Gospel culture, the shared experience of divine grace by undeserving sinners. Now many have told me over the years, maybe 15 years, Labor Day weekend, that, that we'll have been here. Many have told me over the years that their exposure to gospel doctrine and their experience of gospel culture at Grace Church has been like, unlike anything they've experienced at any other church. 
I think I told you a few weeks ago, when we first came here candidating, our experience, Wendy and I, of gospel culture here in this church was unlike anything that we had ever experienced, but the very thing that we wanted to create where we were church planting prior to coming here. So again, I don't say this as a boast in any way. We all know that wherever the word of God is being faithfully proclaimed, wherever its implications are being lived out and finds expression in a culture of grace, that is entirely a gift of God. And we all know that if either gospel doctrine or gospel culture are presumed upon, they will disappear inevitably. Still, by God's grace, the consistent testimony of many who have spoken to me over the years has been that they've never heard gospel doctrine articulated so clearly or experienced the warmth of gospel culture so richly as they have here at Grace Church. For them, like for most of us, our experience at Grace Church has been like seeing Lutchworth for the first time without ever having seen the Grand Canyon. Beautiful. Better than Toledo. Sorry, Toledo. But until you get to the Grand Canyon, it really just doesn't even come close to how good it really gets. The point of this whole series on gospel culture is to move us from Letchworth to the Grand Canyon when it comes to the experience of gospel culture here at Grace Church. But to move from Letchworth to the Grand Canyon in our experience of gospel culture, we must move from Letchworth to the Grand Canyon in our appropriation of gospel doctrine. That is the key. The truth of God's word, every part of which points to Jesus and thus is full of gospel doctrine, must be preached and taught faithfully. But if it falls to the ground or only serves to fill up our heads and never penetrates the heart, then the shared experience, the Grand Canyon experience of gospel culture to which God invites us will be left untouched, unexperienced, unshared by us together here at Grace. Both gospel doctrine and gospel culture come together in this passage. In Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25, this passage takes us to the edge of the Grand Canyon for both gospel doctrine and gospel culture. By God's grace, we'll get a glimpse into the depths of the canyon today as we look at three things. First, the access that we enjoy the access that we enjoy. Second, the help we need. The help we need. And then third, the horizontal reason we meet. Now I'm going to unpack that later. But the access we enjoy, the help we need, and the horizontal reason that we meet. So first, the access we enjoy. Let's look back at verses 19 and 20. Let me, let me just remind us here, 19 through 25, if you've got a Greek Bible open in front of you, you'll notice it's all one sentence. 
19 through 25, all one sentence in the Greek. The author of Hebrews is just summing up everything he's been saying about the access that we have to God through Christ and the advocate that we have before God in Christ. And he's just summing it up here in this passage in 19 through 25. You can, you can kind of, whenever you come to these long sentences in, uh, in Scripture, whether it's Greek or Hebrew, you can kind of sense their enthusiasm, right? It's like when we just kind of pour out our run-on sentences, and you're like, dude, breathe, right? It's like that in terms of the way it's being written. This guy is pumped because of the access that we have before God through Christ and the advocate that we have in Christ before God. So let's, let's look at the imagery. Verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places. Now, the holy places, heavenly aspect here, but also an earthly aspect being alluded to all throughout Hebrews, this comparison between the heavenly reality and the earthly expression of it in the Old Covenant or Covenant or Old Testament times. So holy places, very presence of God, earthly representation of that, the most holy place in the tabernacle when Israel was in the wilderness and then in the temple once Israel got established. There was a curtain. Let's look to the curtain secondly in verse 20. Verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. In the tabernacle and later in the temple, there was a curtain that divided the most holy place where God God was represented and the holy place. Think about what a a curtain symbolizes. Separation. The very presence of the curtain in the tabernacle and later in the temple between where God resided and where man resided. It required a curtain. Because the separateness of God and man was so great. If man was going to have access to God, there would have to be some way to pass through this curtain. So there's the holy places represented in you know, the heavenly realms, but also earthly expression in the tabernacle and the temple. The curtain that separates the most holy place from the holy place. And this, rep- this reminder every, every day when people looked at the temple or looked at the tabernacle, that there was a fundamental separation between God in his holiness and mankind in our sinfulness. Verse 22 is interesting. Verse 22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That imagery of sprinkling and washing, it actually calls to mind something that the rest of this text is alluding to. And that is the access that the high priest had to the most holy place. The high priest, in fact, the entire priestly class, the Levites, had to be sprinkled with blood in order for their sin to be atoned for and then washed in order to be cleansed. So the author of Hebrews is saying something to his audience and and to us as well about who we are now, the kind of access that we have. He's, He's calling us, in a sense, priests. This idea of the priesthood of believers will come out later in, uh, when you read 1 Peter, for instance. But man, it is in Hebrews as well. 
So holy places, a curtain being torn, hearts sprinkled. This is the imagery that we have of an Old Testament reality. But Jesus has accomplished something for us. The curtain, we're told, has been torn. Jesus opened a way for us through the curtain, the curtain that separated God from humanity in the tabernacle and in the temple is now torn. In fact, you remember at the time of Jesus' crucifixion, the temple, I'm sorry, the tabernacle curtain that separated the most holy place from the holy place was torn from top to bottom. Jesus is on a cross dying in Golgotha outside the city gates and inside in the temple, in that place between the holy place and the most holy place, a curtain is torn, not from bottom to top, but from top to bottom. A way has been opened, and that's what the author of Hebrews is saying here, through the flesh of Jesus, just as Jesus' body was torn. So too the curtain was torn. So that the separateness between God and his infinite perfection and holiness and man and our sin might be taken away. That we might have access to God. And the text tells us that is through his blood. Verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, we have access to God through Christ. And then verse 21 reminds us that we have an advocate before God in Christ. Look at verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now this is, you know, picking up a, a theme, kind of carrying on a, a thread that goes back from Hebrews chapter 4. Let me read Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. You can see how this is coming together again in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not, have, do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is that great priest who resides over the whole household of God over all his people. I love the way the Westminster Shorter Catechism in question 25 puts it, concerning the office of priest that Christ holds. He executes the office of a priest in his once offering up of himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and reconcile us to God and in making continual intercession for us. This is Grand Canyon stuff, my brothers and sisters. We have access to God. Something that no one but the high priest had in the Old Testament and that only the high priest had on one day of the year, on the Day of Atonement. We have access to this living and holy God before whom no one could stand. Th this is not like having access to somebody famous and them actually wanting to talk to us. This is being in the fire and not being burned. This is being in the hurricane and not being blown away. 
And not only not being blown away, but, but experiencing it as a cool breeze on a hot day. And only not being burned to a crisp in the inferno, but actually enjoying a glass of lemonade. This is what it means for us, because of Jesus, to have access to the living God through Jesus. Curtain torn. That which separated us from God because of us and our sin addressed once and for all in Jesus. Through him we have access. Not into a earthly temple. Not through a man-made curtain. But into the very presence of God in the heavenly realms. The curtain that's torn is ultimately the curtain that is our sinful selves, our sinful hearts that separated us from God. The way has been opened. We have access to God. There's no need for any kind of atonement anymore because Jesus paid it all. There's no need for any additional cleansing. We can come as we are, just as we are, because of Jesus. We don't have to do this just once a year. We can do it every day, multiple times per day. We have access. Access to God. Let's look secondly at the help we need. The author of Hebrews takes this great uh, gospel truth. They are the gospel indicatives. That's the great fun grammar word that you can, you know, impress people with later. Gospel indicatives, things that are true, things that God has accomplished. He takes those gospel indicatives and throws into three gospel imperatives, things that we're called to do in light of that which is true. You see them in this passage. He says in verse 22, let us draw near. That has the uh, function of an imperative, of a command. Let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. And then verse 24, and let us consider. These three things that we are called to do in light of what God has done and continues to do. Access, way open, Christ forever interceding for us. In light of that, let us draw near to God. What keeps you from drawing near to God? What, what kept them from drawing near? Why did Hebrews need to be written in the first place? Hebrews needed to be written because there were Hebrew Christians who were beginning to face some level of persecution and were being tempted to return back into their Judaism. So these are Jewish converts to Christianity experiencing persecution, not so much from the, the, within the Roman Empire from, from pagans, but actually from Jews who were ostracizing them for converting to Christianity. Their temptation was, you know what, it's just going to be easier, you know, I just kind of revert back to my Judaism. And the author of Hebrews is saying, no. You forsake Jesus for Moses. You've forsaken the gospel entirely. And so he is saying, no, draw near. 
Hold fast. Draw near to the living God. Hold fast to the confession of faith. And consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. We'll come back and talk about that in the third point. So again, let me come back. Why do we lose heart and fall away? Why is it that access to God that we have in the gospel is something that we shrink back from rather than run full speed toward? Well, it could be fear. It could be fear because the only God that we've ever known is a God of, 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 of terror, a God of judgment, a God who is looking for opportunities to smash you to the ground and destroy you. We've never known the God who entirely because of grace through Jesus has granted access to his very presence that we might experience him as Father. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. That's 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. We don't know God as Father in that sense. We only know God as Judge. Maybe because the only kind of Father we had on earth was a Father who was one who condemned and only ever judged. So maybe it's fear. We just don't have any true knowledge of who this God is, and so we shrink back. But is there also a risk of indifference? In the 2006 rendition of The Painted Veil, a nun tells Kitty, main female character, Concerning her relationship with God and the way it began when she was first, you know, called into being a nun. <clears throat> she says this, my love for God was passionate. Over the years, my feelings have changed. He's disappointed me, ignored me. We've settled into a relationship of peaceful indifference. Has that in any way become what your relationship with God is like? Peaceful indifference. Because it, it would seem that God has disappointed you. Or it would seem as though God has been ignoring you. Might it be that indifference to this living God who sent his son to die for us, that we might have, yes, forgiveness of sin, and yes, adoption into his family, and yes, the promise of life eternal, but the promise of finding our deepest and greatest longings fulfilled by eternally dwelling in his presence on a renewed earth forever, world without end. Have we, have we lost sight of the glory of the gospel and just settled into routine. The nun goes on to say, it's like God and I are an old husband and wife that sit on the couch together but never talk. Lord, may it be that our relationship with, with him is not like that because this passage in Hebrews chapter 10, as with all of scripture, this is Grand Canyon stuff. Nobody stands on the edge of the Grand Canyon and yawns. Nobody stands on the edge of the Grand Canyon and moves away going, eh. This is the word of God. It's 
true. Now, I get it. We're fallible. We're weak. We come in. I am not saying that every time I open my Bible, I go, yes! But listen, that's not a problem with God's word. That's a problem with me. And the Holy Spirit has been given to me by God in part to address that. And that same spirit indwells you if your hope is in Jesus Christ for your salvation. So, glorious gospel indicative access. Glorious gospel imperatives. But we need help. And this last command in verse 24 and 25, let us consider, this is where we get, horizontally speaking, help. So what do I mean by the horizontal reason we gather? Well, consider the imperatives once more. Let us draw near. Let's, let us draw near to God. That can be thought of as kind of in a vertical sense. Let us hold fast to the confession. That can be thought of as kind of in an interior or internal or personal sense. But let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. That's horizontal. That's part of the reason why we are here. We often only think of Sunday morning in the vertical and internal or personal sense. And the author of Hebrews is saying here, if that's all we do, we haven't gone far enough. There's a horizontal sense of our Sunday morning gathering that is actually necessary in order for us to hold fast to that confession internally, in order for us to you know, go, to before, go before the very presence of God through faith in Jesus Christ because of the way he's open. All those are things that we're being called to do together. And we need each other in order to do so. Think, think of the contrast in verse 25. Just, these two things together. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another. Those two things, meeting together and encouraging one another, go together. When we fail to meet together, we miss encouragement that the Bible tells us that we desperately need. If we only think of welcome, which we talked about last week, as a friendly greeting, and not as Scripture gives us, Grand Canyon stuff of bringing someone into, the very, into your very heart the way Jesus brought you into very, his very heart, and if we only think of encouragement, which we're looking at this morning, as you can do it and not let's go together before the throne of grace. Let's just stop right now as we're talking out back later. Let's just stop right now. Or maybe it was before church when you came in. Let's just together right now go before the throne of grace. Let's remind ourselves together of the access that we have in Jesus. Let's, let's remind ourselves and encourage one another to hold fast to this hope. By the way, do you remember that you're cleansed for your sin because of the blood of Jesus? I need you to remind me of that. That's Grand Canyon encouragement. And we're called to it. We're commanded to engage in it. We are commanded to offer that to one another because we all need that together. These commands even about drawing near, 
and about holding fast and about considering others. They're us commands. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us, the, the author of Hebrews is including himself here. This is gospel culture. Let our culture as a church be characterized in such a way that we together are drawing near. You ready to draw near? Let me encourage you. We're going to go together. That we, us, all of us together are holding fast. Did you hear the profession of faith earlier? Later. Be listening. Because this is for all of us. Together. In fact, you may know somebody in this room right now whose faith is wavering. So even as you are professing the faith after the Lord's Supper, and we're all doing that together, in that moment, you can be praying for that person. Oh, God, help Joe or or Susie or Mary take these truths to heart so that we, all of us, might hold fast to the confession of faith horizontal reason we gather is to encourage one another. I love the phrase, let us consider together. No, I'm sorry, verse 24. Mm, Yeah, let us consider how to stir up one another. That phrase, those two words, stir up, is actually could be more accurately translated, provoke. Let us provoke one another. Let's get under each other's skin. Out of love, I have a desire that we together are going before the throne of grace, that we together are holding fast to the confession of faith, that we are together committed to building one another up and to encouraging one another in these things that are true. Listen, if you're watching on the live stream right now and you could be here and you're not here, we need you here. We need you here. We are not all that we can be as the church that is Grace Church. In this physical location, at this point in history, we are not all together going before the throne of grace if you're not here. We're not all together able to say, let us hold fast the confession of faith if we're not all here. Now, I know that there are times when it's necessary that we not be here. But let it not become habitual. Let it not become any of our practice that we not be here. Because this is about us together before the Lord. O. Palmer Robertson has a little book written on the church in the wilderness, reflecting on Hebrews. And he says this concerning 19 through 25. The entire passage should be read as a description of the communal approach of Christian believers to God. Description of the communal approach of Christian believers to God. The Old Testament covenant had as its purpose the provision of a method for the community as a whole to enter into fellowship with God. That was through the high priest. If the new covenant is the realization of the old covenant ideal, then Christianity must organize itself on a collective basis. For the worship of God cannot fulfill itself unless it proceeds from the congregation as a whole. In other words, imagine yourself as a a Jewish person in the Old Testament times, and you're standing outside the tent. The high priest is going in. You know that he has access to God. You know it's scary, too because you see the rope that's tied around his ankle. 
in case he didn't do things right and he needs to be pulled out. But you know he's being granted something that you don't have access to God. So you're out there just waiting. Now imagine them looking at us today and saying, you together, all of you are priests. You have access.